Hello and welcome back to Offspring Magazine, the podcast. It's me again, Srinath Ramkumar. And with me this time, it's not Nico, but it's Adrian. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Adrian. So, this time, we wanted to talk a little bit about our, you know, general listening habits. And during the pandemic and during, you know, lab work especially, it's really nice to put on some nice jams and listen to some nice music. Maybe sometimes a little bit of a podcast here or there. Of course, the oh, I'm, a, I'm a podcast fiend. Yeah, I well, devour podcasts. That sounds fantastic. What's your favorite podcast? I mean, that's tough. I definitely there's it's a hot it's hot competition. So I yeah. I kind of fluctuate. I think between depending on the mood. Sometimes yeah. I'm a This American Life type oh. mood. Sometimes I'm in a Radio Lab type mood. But but often I mean I like my regular podcast like uh, the Nature Podcast with. Which really highlights, I think, science quite well. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, it's one of the really fun things where they bring up really interesting topics and it, it varies so much, right? Like it starts, yeah. they talk about one thing and then completely... Well, and it's a nice way to just kind of stay on top of general advancements in other fields without having to literally pick up an issue of nature <laughs> and read all the articles because that can be punishing. I yeah, I completely agree with you there. Yeah. So let's... Talk about Nature Podcast a little bit more. Speaking of it, like, have you heard about the host of Nature Podcast, Ben Thompson? He's he seems like a really nice guy. Oh, yeah. He's a very energetic guy. Have you heard? Yeah, I mean, the whole crew seems great, but Ben yeah. Ben specifically, he, yeah, he's got a real charisma to him. Yeah, and he's ended up doing a podcasting, and he's he's a PhD. He finished his PhD, and he has a doctorate, and that's quite fascinating as well. I mean, I guess to us, to us, it's particularly fascinating. It's particularly fascinating to us. I completely <laughs> agree. Yeah. So why don't we just ask Ben how he went about doing this and let's see what he I says. I think that's a great idea. Let's see what he says. All right. So let's get on with the discussion with Ben Thompson from the Nature Podcast. So, Dr. Thompson, welcome to the Offspring Magazine, the podcast. So, perhaps as a quick introduction to the audience, you could introduce yourself and explain your current role. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's a real treat to be here. So, I'm Benjamin Thompson. I tend to go by Ben, so let's go with that, shall we? And, and I'm a senior multimedia editor for Nature, of course, the, the science journal. And, uh, and I sort of lead on podcast production and things like that. All right. So, so you're a part of the production team for the Nature Podcast. Yeah, we have a, a small multimedia team here at Nature, and uh, we produce videos and, and, and audio content and, and what have you. Okay, cool. Um, then I guess, I mean, that's a very interesting career that you've ended up in. It's not what I think a lot of people who have gone through academia would kind of view within their realm of possibilities uh, for what they could be pursuing. So I was I'm just curious, you know, could you comment a little bit on how you ended up at that job? Because, I mean, grad school is notoriously kind of insular. They want to keep people within academia. And so a lot of people aren't necessarily exposed to that uh, when they're in grad school. And I was wondering if you could kind of comment, you know, starting in grad school, how you decided you wanted to pursue 
alternative career paths and how you ultimately ended up doing this kind of science communication multimedia work with nature. Yeah, I mean, uh, quite a quite a potted history, I suppose. And I actually came to starting my PhD quite late. I'd done my undergraduate, and then I'd uh, you know you know research assistant, and then I'd done a variety of different different jobs, uh, none related to science, to be honest with you. Um, but then, obviously, you know, I came back to my my calling, and uh, and I did my my PhD, uh, and I graduated in twenty ten, I think. Um, and and I love doing it. I was very very lucky. I had a you know a really really great supervisor, um, and we had a good relationship, and and I enjoyed the work. I was you know I was a decent scientist. I mean I'm not going to say I was fantastic, but I was I was certainly you know I was certainly competent at, at doing the work. Um, but I was always better at talking about it than doing it. I think, um, and and I'd often get involved in outreach projects and and what have you. And uh, I did a lot of student radio at the time as well. And I and I thought that you know that was something that I, that I absolutely loved and and would look to pursue. Um, so that's that's kind of where I was. And you know, it was around about graduation time that uh that that I started looking to say, you know, where where do I want to to see myself and, and in a, you know in a, if we believe in the multiverse and you know a lot of people subscribe to that I think there is one where I am still an academic and, and, and very happy to be so I think so you know there was no sort of super strong drive to leave but I think there was there was more of a leaning in that direction that makes sense I mean I think one thing that a lot of people who are in science face is um, kind of hesitance about exploring alternate paths because you know they love what they do and they don't want to lose that so they don't consider necessarily uh, trying other things out be because um, could be fear of missing out on opportunities to continue on in lab work or uh, kind of hesitancy just about what opportunities exist. So did you kind of come up against that when you were considering these transitions? I mean, it is it is something to consider, I think, certainly. I mean, it's, I think, you know, I, I, for, for myself, I only speak, I, I, and I only speak obviously for myself, I'm like, well, is it going to be hard to come back? If this doesn't work out, you know, will I be able to come come back? And And there are schemes that exist for, for that you know so for going back into science but uh but i think i i I'd sort of made my mind up i guess at this point and said i, I will i will give it a go and, and see what happens and, and thankfully i will say it's uh well it's been working okay so far here we are what 11 years later and i uh i'm, I'm still gainfully employed you know which is a pretty good place to be yeah for sure so you mentioned just a, a while ago that you tried look you you, you liked talking about science more than you know, like uh, being you know at the at the wet lab, for example. So perhaps you know, do you know do you know when you discovered that you have this uh, interest in discussing science or talking about science? Oh, I mean, I'm not sure if there was a specific moment to be honest with you. I'm I'm fairly you know sort of gregarious and, uh, and enthusiastic, so you know I'm happy to talk to anyone you know about, about about research, and I always super enjoyed doing that, and I had a lot of lot of friends. When I was doing my PhD, who weren't scientists, obviously, I'm sure you know you you mix with different different people in universities, and we always had a good chat about you know what they did and what we did, and, and trying to find that interface to try and explain you know what what on earth you know was going on. I'd learn about poetry theory, they'd learn about lipoproteins, and that you know that's that sort of thing. And I think that's really really interesting, and was a uh, often a lot of a uh, lot of interesting sort of a uh, sort of debates that went on over uh, over a pint of beer in the graduate student bar. Um, but I was often asked to do kind of outreach things as, and, uh, you know, for, for a variety of schools. I mean, I was a, a microbiologist, but I'd often get asked by, I remember one, being asked by the, the medical school, could I go and uh, 
you know, man, a standabout skeletons to talk to us, school children about this kind of stuff. And of course, I said, yeah, of course, you know, that's absolutely happy to do that. Um, I'll have to do some research to begin with. But, you know, yeah, I, I was uh, always up for doing that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, I think once once your name's maybe out there in the university for, for being up for doing stuff like that, I certainly uh, had a few opportunities to do so, obviously around my studies, which was what I was there for. And, you know, the most important thing, of course. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's I these kind of outreach opportunities and stuff, I think they're really great so that people can have that exposure because it's the kind of thing that I've also gotten involved in. We have this uh, thing in Dresden, the Long Night of Science, where the whole city kind of has science events all over the place. And it's really fun to interact with the public as best you can. <laughs> There's always language barriers and things involved, but it's super exciting. I mean, it's it's just, it can be fun to kind of share with the public in a way that you don't normally get to. I kind of wanted to uh, pick your brain a little on your path through uh, the Microbiology Society and the Wellcome Trust, because I, I just saw this on your bio on the Nature website, and I was curious, you know, before you ended up doing podcasting, I saw that you, at least those were things that were listed, and I was curious if you could just talk a little bit about what you did in those groups mm. and if, if that um, was kind of a, a path to podcasting in the end or if it kind of just enriched your experiences. Yeah, I mean, let let me think about this. And so, I actually my my first sort of job after my PhD was working for the British Science Association, and it was a very very short three month um, job where I was uh, working as the press assistant for their British Science Festival. And uh, my job was to to help the press team, uh, you know, writing press releases and and you know, interacting with the journalists, asking, you know, helping them set up interviews, that that sort of thing, right? And I and I actually really enjoyed doing that. And the kind of uh, the atmosphere was 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 really, really exciting. You know, lots lots going on there. And it was from there that I met some of the press team at the Wellcome Trust. And uh, and you know, they they understood that my uh, my sort of role was quite short and said, look, well, you know, are you interested in taking this a bit further? Um, we might have, you know, an internship opportunity for you with us. And I'm like, well that that actually sounds super interesting. So uh, I started working there, uh, and I actually worked in the, in the science writing team there, working on uh, the Wellcome Trust blog, which I think may have been retired since. But I, it was uh, amazing. I, you know, obviously, the Wellcome Trust funds a wealth of super interesting research. And it was you know, my job to write blog posts about some of the people and some of the research they did. Um, and that was, was such an enriching time. And I, and I learned so much about being edited and, and structuring, you know, articles and so forth, which is not necessarily something that you learn as scientists. Obviously, you know, you, you, maybe you, you'll write a manuscript or, or, you know, or write your thesis and it'll get edited. But, you know, writing really quite concise uh, explanations of science is, is something that, that, you know, you, you, can, you can practice and, and, you know, get better at. But when you have the hand of an experienced editor to say, oh, move that around there or that's not very exciting or I'm not quite sure I understand, you know, is, is, was amazing. And, and I worked there for, for a while and uh, I actually worked in their policy unit for a bit as well, you know, to sort of uh, help translate some of their sort of uh, policy outputs into, uh, into maybe, uh, maybe slightly more accessible language. Obviously, that, you know, that's a specialist audience as well. And, you know, if you want to try and tell a lot of people about it, maybe you need to, you know, choose, choose the words a little bit. Um, and that was, that was amazing too. And so that was, you know, a few, a few years working there. Um, but my PhD was in microbiology. I guess that was my kind of scientific love. 
And, and so a job came up at the Microbiology Society, which was called the Society for General Microbiology at the time. That's maybe what some of your listeners may remember it as. Um, and, and I started working there, and, and my job was uh, head of communication. So I would you know, oversee all of the uh, outward-facing things. And that was amazing as well, because you'd have to you know, write copy about events, conferences, or you'd have to write press releases, and, you know, and, and, and we did the blog, and, and we did the podcast, and all this kind of thing. And so, really, it was, a, it was a super, super exciting time to be able to talk about the subject that I knew and loved, but this kind of really broad way of doing it, and speaking to different audiences, again, you know, talking to, say, conference attendees, or writing press releases to send that to journalists, or, or you know, writing a blog post about I don't know, I'm trying to think of one that we wrote about uh, the speed with which fungi, you know, fire out their spores. Is it, you know, again, it couldn't be more different again. So it, it, was, uh, it was great to use lots of different parts of my brain in, in that job, you know? Yeah, it sounds interesting. And it's, it's also, uh, it, it leads me in the direction that, uh, for example, when you get started out on this, uh, like, a, like an alternate trajectory, you tend to have some doubts, right? So what were some of the doubts that you you faced and how did you face them yeah that's an interesting one i mean i think for me in many cases it was uh, often learning by doing as i say i had a team of, of really experienced people to help help guide me but obviously you have those thoughts like well i haven't done this before like you know are they gonna are they gonna laugh at me and say this is this is terrible well you know you, what, are, what are you doing and, and i will say that everyone i've ever worked with has been super supportive and, and really really helpful at sort of really helping helping me to learn and, and develop. So I think those were maybe, maybe my, my sort of fears is that, I, you know, I've come from, from one, one pathway into this, which is maybe different from other people's, so I won't necessarily, you know, have those skills. But, you know, I, I, again, I've been very lucky that uh, I've, had, I've had some, some excellent guidance. Were you also, like, surrounded by people who studied journalism, for example, or did journalism as their uh, primary studies related to their career? And perhaps the editors who were working with you were journalism majors. Was that, was that the case? Um, I, I would say a lot of, a lot of people I know uh, did a course here in the UK uh, at Imperial College London, which is the Science Communication Master's course. But I would say that, that many didn't as well, right? So I think there was a variety of backgrounds, but I, I, I think a lot of folk had come through that course and obviously had learned a great deal of stuff and, and you know, are, are all excellent at doing it. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, maybe I'd come at it from a slightly different angle, coming straight straight from academia. That's cool. I mean, so it kind of sounds like you cut your chops on your science communication skills through those years before ultimately ending up where you are now at Nature, where it sounds like, or at least from my perspective, that you have kind of a broader purview because you're, for example, when you were working at the Microbiology Society, you know, that was very much in your comfort zone in terms of subject matter, even if what you were doing was a bit outside of uh, your experience in terms of your uh, kind of academic training. So I'm, this is something I'm always curious about is like the transition in terms of talking about things that you're very comfortable with uh, scientifically to a more broad, diverse array of topics and how that transition was for you. Mm, um, I think that's an excellent question. And it's one that, you know, we kind of deal with every week on the Nature podcast. I might be, you know, doing something on quantum physics one week or you know the latest finding in astronomy the next week or or you know or biology you know as, as well so um i think for for me in many cases it's what what do what would i want to know about this 
you know, when I'm when I'm writing about something that that I don't know, and I think that's that's rings true. I think all all, all the time, you know, like sometimes knowing too much about the subject actually makes things more difficult because you're like, well, you need to talk about this, and you must talk about this, and you must talk about this. Well, actually, you, maybe you don't necessarily need to. You need to, you know, dial it down or row it back a little bit. So coming into something where you maybe you're not an expert in it can actually be really really refreshing because you sit down and go, well, what is it? How does it work? You know, what what is it? What does it mean? And you know what, what what's what's the kind of broader context, I guess. Okay, yeah. So for sure, that makes a lot of sense. It's just that uh, one thing which always. So for example, now with the the the, the COVID crisis, and uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, virologists uh, who are getting uh, you know a lot of uh, let's say airtime on a lot of these uh, science communication. Uh, platforms. So, how do you choose topics, and w- what was the origin for the Corona Pod, which a part of the Nature Podcast series? Hmm. So, I mean, the Nature Podcast itself has been running for a very, very, very long time. You know, and uh, long before I started. Um, and and I've been working at Nature for three years. And obviously, I've moved into journalism at this point. You know, maybe maybe just a little bit further away from from press and comms and and sort of science communication it, more, more generally. Um, and it was, I think it was in the start of January, 2020, when we sort of started covering what turned out to be the pandemic in the regular nature podcast. I mean, obviously we had updates each week on what's going on. Um, but it really quickly became quite clear that there was a lot more stories to tell. Obviously, you know what, you know where we are now, of course. Um, and, and we knew that there was an appetite for them so it actually started coronapod you know the week that we were sort of all sent home to work from home you know and when the, the guidelines changed uh, and i think we put our heads together and said right you know could could we launch a standalone spin-off show exclusively about this and a real sort of deep dive into what's going on scientifically what well, you know and given the constraints of you know, I'm recording in a South London basement, for example, and, and you know, all my colleagues are in their living rooms or kitchens or, you know, wherever they are. Um, and so we said, yeah, you know what, we absolutely have to try this. Um, and, and so we did, which is kind of a shortcut to it, I, I guess. But, uh, you know, we quickly worked out, you know, what we want to talk about. And I think uh, originally Coronapod was kind of split into two parts. The first half was kind of a freeform chat about the latest science news um, with, with me and my colleagues Noah and Amy um, and the second half was maybe slightly more focused uh, more of a sort of radio style package on issues that were uh, affecting researchers maybe specifically you know we talked about you know funding and we talked about getting into the lab when they're locked down and we talked about you know the, the, the trials and tribulations of, of vaccine development which of course was quite early on at the time and and so you know, we, we, we kind of developed that. We did that once a week on top of the regular show and, and kept the regular nature podcast coronavirus free, actually, which I know that some of our listeners really appreciated because actually it, it was a little, little sort of little oasis, I suppose, a little mental pause away from what was going on for people who just wanted to hear about sort of science stories. So we really had that nice balance. And Coronapod has been running now. I mean, my goodness, where are we now? A year and a bit later, I suppose, and it's and it's evolved and 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 what have you. But it's it's still going, and uh, I think it's been for me really valuable to be able to talk about these things and, and and talk about these stories with with people who know a lot about them. But also, you know, I know that our listeners have appreciated, you know, 
us being able to 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 use our our expertise as as you know as, as science journalists and having the contacts uh, having the contacts of of the right scientists to be able to to comment on what's going on as well. Yeah, that's actually interesting to me in the sense of the listenership because I imagine you know or one thing that I've noticed is that coronavirus has kind of changed the landscape of science communication because there's a lot more engagement from people who maybe previously wouldn't be looking for specifically scientific information, scientific journalism. So I was wondering if uh, you know behind the scenes, from your perspective, if you know if you've noticed or had unique challenges in trying to communicate coronavirus versus say the regular Nature podcast, where I imagine. The regular listenership is is people who are kind of informed outsiders in a sense. Where a lot of scientists, a lot of people who are interested in science versus coronavirus, where the kind of general you're you're perhaps going to reach people who wouldn't otherwise be seeking out that type of content. Hmm. I mean, I would say you are right that the the main Nature podcast, uh, our core audience are working scientists. But again, because we cover such a variety of topics, we, we, you know, we have to do it in such a way that it's understandable to, to everyone. Well, if, you know, if I'm telling you about a particle accelerator experiment and you happen to be, oh, I, I don't know, an organic chemist, you, you, know, you need to be able to, 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 to get something out of it as well. So we, I don't think we consciously thought we need to pitch this in a different way. I, I, I really don't. And, and, and one thing we did do is we ran a listener survey uh, you know, several months ago now and said, you know, what, what do you think? You know, is this useful? And, and we had a lot of people who said that, you know, I'm not a scientist, but uh, and, I, and I found you by, you know, Googling or, or, or searching in Spotify for coronavirus related stuff. And what you've been talking about is, has been really, really useful to me. So I think, you know, it, it's sometimes hard to get that sort of feedback. But, but knowing we, we, we kind of hit the mark was, was, was really refreshing to hear, I think. Okay. But so it, it, it brings up another question. So you, you have to... So there's an, there's an expectation that what we're saying is, is close to as realistic as possible, right? So like how much time do you spend researching these topics before trying to talk about them? Mm, that's, that's, uh, that's a good one. So, you know, if I talk about the, let's talk about the, the main nature podcast, shall we, I guess. Um, and so, I mean, our, our turnaround times are quite short. We usually decide on a Wednesday afternoon what we're going to cover. For the following Wednesday's show, so uh, if if I was covering a, a paper that the two of you had written together, uh, I would, you know, spend spend you know maybe a, a few hours reading reading the paper and, and and you know learning as much as I can about the background, um, maybe try and you know speak to someone who knows a bit about it to get a bit of context, and then I then I would you know phone you up and, and just like we are now have a conversation and, and record that, um, and then I would cut together. The package. I mean, sometimes we do straight Q and A's, a bit like we are now. Um, sometimes we do them more in a in a BBC Radio Four or NPR style kind of kind of package with some with some quotes and some links. Um, and and they both both are the right answer, I suppose. To, you know, depending on what what, what we're talking about. Um, and then then I would probably present that to my colleagues. You know, send it round to the team on I don't know, let's say Monday, and say, could could one of you? Take a listen to this, and you know, have a look at the script, and listen to the audio, and and we'll go around a few rounds of edits. So back to the red pen again, you know, with I don't really understand that. Maybe that's best over there. You know, this this isn't as clear as it might be. And we'll go around that, and uh, and then that will be finished by Tuesday afternoon. We'll record the rest of the links and all the rest of it, stitch it all together, have a listen on Tuesday night uh, and Wednesday morning, just to make sure that everything is is kind of perfect. That final sort of top listen to make sure that everything's okay. 
and then we put it live on Wednesday sort of afternoon and off we go again. Oh, that's quite the, it must be quite the ride to do that every week, this kind of cycle. Yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly exhilarating, I would say. And uh, it's, it's just exciting to be able to, to talk about, you know, the, the latest science developments, because, you know, we, we do all love science, the whole team, obviously we do, right, to, to do what we do. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's so exciting. So in that Wednesday meeting you mentioned, is the discussion mainly around what's going to be coming up, say, in the journals, and which of those would make for an interesting podcast? Or are you kind of looking more broadly throughout literature to kind of find the topics you think will be most interesting, or maybe, say, most uh, cutting edge or something? Well, it's, it's the former, actually. So we're looking at what's coming out in, in the Nature Journal generally, and maybe, maybe a little bit broader, but you know, mainly the Nature Journal to see what's coming out in the next week. Uh, and then we decide from there sometimes we get you know a couple of weeks lead time but you know it's, it's generally speaking is is a week and and then we just talk about the different things and and you know what what you know what we what stands out to us what maybe lends itself more to audio and that's where we pick pick a couple of stories and and then we you know we off we go so uh, you mentioned the nature podcast team uh, in the so you said your team takes a look at it so how big is this team and uh, how do each person have a different responsibility and how do you manage that so so there are five of us in the multimedia team there's the uh, the chief multimedia editor my colleague noah who i mentioned to you before who appears on corona pod and he oversees all of the outputs and uh, and there's myself and nick howe who are kind of focused mainly on the podcast i would say you know that's that's what we look at and then there's a couple of our colleagues Sharmini and dan who kind of mainly mainly video but do some podcasting as well so i think i think it's myself and, and and nick really who are you know focusing on the podcast pretty much in in, in our entirety for, for the for the week i would say so i mean everyone on the team is kind of working on the, the broad category of multimedia um but i'm curious you know aside from those skills which are you know very specific to that area you know audio editing video editing I'm curious, you know, if you think back and if you look at your work today, what kind of skills from your PhD and your academic work have kind of translated and been useful in your experience now? Mm. I mean, the, the short answer to that is time management, right? And I think that's probably what all of your guests will, will say when you speak to them, right? Like I, I'm, PhD is about juggling a lot of plates, right? A lot, all of the time. And I think that's very, very similar to what we do now. So uh, I make a lot of lists, as I'm sure you both do as well, you know, about your experiments and what have you. And mine are, you know, about which bits of the show I need to consider, you know, right now and which bits maybe, you know, in a couple of hours time and that sort of thing. Um, so, so that's probably, probably I say would be super useful. Also, you know, obviously for me, I, you know, reading scientific literature, I think that's uh, been very, very useful for, to, you know, to me being able to pick that apart. But I don't think necessarily that's a skill that you can only have if you are a scientist. Of course, many of my colleagues aren't, right? And still are, you know, f phenomenal at just looking at a paper and going, that's, that's, the, that's the most important bit, you know? So I think that's helped me, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, I think maybe in, in some cases, I think what's helped me as well is, is being in academia and knowing what it's about uh, and being able to, you know, to talk with, with scientists about science. But again, these are things that you, know, you, you, you can pick up and learn, I would say, and, and, and other people certainly have. Okay. So uh, just moving along uh, in a similar direction. So you mentioned a while ago that you ran an audience survey to get some feedback, 
right? So to see if if they if they appreciate the the type of content that you're making. So uh, just so do you use uh, you know tools for feedback like surveys more often, or is it like do you look for comments on the podcast on like the various p- platforms? So how what what type of reviews or comments do you look for? Like or where do you look for feedback primarily? Yeah, I mean, I think the surveys have been very very useful. We've done a, a couple in my time working for nature um and you know the, the advantage of that is you can you can ask the same question twice you know you can actually get some some time points or you can you know be be very very reactive and say well listen you know we've launched this new thing you know what what do you think about it as well so so that that's quite useful um we sometimes get emails to, to the sort of podcast email address and, and that can be very very useful um i don't i don't spend a lot of time necessarily looking at reviews we do get them on itunes um but but I think people who've taken the time to to write maybe uh, have been more interesting or or have written some free text in in a survey because they're you know obviously they're answering a specific question I guess. I'm curious then, like how much does the feedback you get say from the surveys or these you know like you said maybe less the reviews but definitely the surveys how how much does that feedback kind of influence your content moving forward? With CoronaPod, for example, we we knew that when we'd asked in a previous survey, you know what sort of content would you like a lot of our listeners said hey we'd like a deep dive into a specific topic you know and and so that really helped for example to inform with coronapod like we know there's an appetite for this you know so i think let's let's you know let's let's use that as an even more impetus to get on and, and do it sort of thing so there's there's i think a concrete example of of where feedback has has informed outputs you know so we we often see that there's a lot of uh discussion and a lot of uh, debate around certain topics so how do you deal with uh, certain topics which tend to have chance to change over time and how do you deal with uh, mistakes that happen on the show as as a, as a result of such things i mean science obviously is is science right i mean that's and 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 things do change and, and we do cover topics where things are updated as as they move on and 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 so i think we we are cognizant of that and uh, and when things change, we will say, you know, and maybe in a future episode, we'll say, well, listen, you know, the prevailing thought at the time was this. But uh, it turns out that actually, you know, the new research has suggested this. And we always try and get external comment wherever possible to try and make sure that things are contextualized. So, you know, if, if an area of science may, maybe has differing views that we try and, you know, make sure that we do our research and make sure that we, we get a sense of what those differing views are, where that's appropriate. Um, and in, in terms of, you know, do mistakes happen when we make the podcast? What I'll say is we are so very, very careful. We check and we check and we check. And if we're not sure, you know, we ask someone, uh, you know, not necessarily the researcher, but someone, you know, external or someone who, who we know to be an expert in the subject and say, listen, you know, is, is this right? Um, and we all check each other's work as well. And if you say, well, I'm not entirely sure what you mean by this. We make sure that we, we hone and we hone and we hone until, until we, we know that it's as good as it can be. And I, and I will say with hand on heart, you know, I, I can't think of any, any really situations where, where stuff has gone wrong because we are, we are so careful to make sure that, uh, that we are representing what was done in a way that is correct, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. It's just that uh, one uh, thing that really uh, comes to my mind is uh, the statement from, I, I think it was Ernst Hemingway or someone who said, uh, you know, when you when you write drunk, but you edit sober. So when when so when you edit stuff, you make sure to weed out all 
potential like you know things which can be misunderstood or things which can be uh, which which are not clear enough right so i mean i will say that i am sober both when i am writing <laughs> and when i'm editing but um uh i mean the editing process is so important and it's you know it's it can be daunting to to put up your your work to your colleagues and peers and say hey i've made this thing what, what do you think and have them go well actually i'm not i'm not sure what you mean by that I mean, and but it, but it's without that step you know it, things aren't as good as they can be and i think what comes out at the end of the process is always so much better than 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 what goes in at the start and and it helps make sure that uh, that that everything is is as good as it can be that's cool um yeah so i was thinking we could kind of end on a bit of a more outward thinking uh, section just to ask you know broadly as someone who interfaces with the public what's your sense of you know how the general public is perceiving science and how you know efforts of science communication going to fit into the picture of informing the public getting them kind of on board with uh, the kind of current state or the kind of process of science because i think one thing that i often find challenging to communicate it, uh, with people who aren't involved in science is that you know you might be saying that the current thinking is x but to in in kind of impress upon them that science is a process and that it's not so much x that's important but that the process of how we got to x and where we go from x in terms of thinking i mean if you open up any newspaper you know i'm sure from any country on earth right now science is front and center um so i think getting it getting it out there i think it really isn't necessarily too much of an issue right now and and not just the coronavirus i think science coverage is is throughout our our sort of newspapers and and, and news media um because there is an array of excellent science journalists out there who who you know are really good at uh, at finding the stories and, and and explain them in in a context you know in the context of why it's important i think as well you know yeah, absolutely. If I could just ask a quick follow-up on that, though, is, you know, as you mentioned, you know, science is on the front page of newspapers a lot, but I think a major trend line through uh, reporting this year, and unfortunately, you know, I have to ask another question about coronavirus in this sense, is that you've seen the public react, for example, being told uh, one thing at one point and then reacting negatively to when that information changes down the line. Now, you know, if you're familiar with the scientific process, if you're kind of connected to that, then that's not necessarily surprising. But, you know, broadly, there has been discontent, I guess, among certain groups of people when information changes in that way. And so that's kind of where I was hoping you would uh, comment on the interface between scientific communication, and the, you know, the general public, where even if science is being put center stage, it doesn't necessarily feel like always there's a great literacy uh, uh, for how information changes over time, if that makes sense. I mean, I think, I think all we can do is report to the best of our knowledge, given the information that we have at the time. And I think, you know, that things, things are shifting a lot because this is, you know, a, a, a situation the likes of which haven't been seen for a very, very long time. So I think just getting that clarity out there and saying that this, you know, based on what scientists believe, Based on what uh, researchers uh, have found right now, this this is this is what we think, and I think we just have to keep saying that. Keep keep reporting with with clarity and based on evidence, and 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 we'll, we'll keep doing that as as things change again. I think I think that's the only way, to be honest with you. Is there anything you think we should have asked that we didn't? 
And is there any kind of topic you wish you would have touched on? It's, that's a great question to end a podcast interview with. It's one that I've used many, many times. Um, I mean, I mean, no. I mean, your 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 podcast is for you know primarily you know scientists who maybe early career researchers, right? And and I think it's it was such an exciting time for me, and I and I loved it, and and I think opportunities are there to get involved in things and see and see see if you if you like it and see you know see if it's for you so i think you know obviously you know i'm not your supervisor but you know make sure you you do your studies um but you know take these opportunities when, when they arise you know so i think with that i would like to sign out thanks a lot for joining us thank you so much for speaking with us today it's been really nice uh, it was my absolute pleasure thank you so much for having me on your show all right that was a fantastic discussion with Ben, wasn't it? And I really enjoyed the the way he, he he feels about his work and the way he talks about his career. Yeah, I think he gave us a lot of really good insight into how to transition from being an academic researcher, you know, a, doc, uh, a doctoral researcher, into something else, something, say, in science communication, which obviously is interesting to us, but I imagine is probably also interesting to a lot of our listeners. Yeah, definitely. And it's very nice to the end when he mentioned that if you get an opportunity, don't hesitate to take it and also don't restrict yourself to certain fields like or, you know, try new things. Because I think putting yourself out there and trying different things will definitely, I mean, even if you don't pursue it, it might definitely give you a lot of experience that you can uh, learn from and take it up for later on in life. Yeah, I mean, you can see that in the way that, you know, his career trajectory was where he kind of went from, you know, one interesting opportunity, worked that into something else, kept going, and now he has a really interesting job at the Nature Podcast. And it was really nice to kind of hear his insights on how being a science communicator is facing kind of unique challenges and provides unique opportunities to someone with a background like his. Yeah, completely agree. All right. So I think with that, we've come to the end of this rather fantastic discussion with uh, Benjamin Thompson from the Nature Podcast and really, we really hope if you enjoyed it please write to us at offspring.podcasts at phd.mpg.de and with that we take your leave hope to be uh, hearing us soon bye bye Offspring Magazine the podcast brought to you by the Max Planck PhD in the science communication working group known as the Offspring Magazine the intro-outro music is composed by Trantramkumar and the pre-intro jingle is composed by Gustav Karitza. This episode of The Offspring Podcast was hosted by Srinath Ramkumar and Adrian Lahoya and edited by Srinath Ramkumar and produced by Srinath Ramkumar and Adrian Lahoya Chamiak. Uh, please feel free to follow us on Twitter at mpphdnetpodcast and on Instagram at offspringmagazine underscore the podcast. And with that, we take your leave. Until next week, stay safe, stay healthy. Bye-bye.